and welcome to this episode of Raising Remarkable Teenagers, where we invite experts and guests and parents um, and parents of teenagers. And today, I am so so grateful to have uh, Melanie, and Melanie is going to be speaking to us about uh, teen dating violence, right? Ooh, I know, I know. When you think about it, you can't imagine someone hurting your young person, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about. It, and most of you know this is a this is a topic that's very dear to my heart. And because I I hate to imagine that someone's actually hurting a person that you love. It's it's very it's it's. I don't even want to go there because I don't want to start crying. But um, Let's do this. It's Angela Karanja here of Raising Remarkable Teenagers. And as always, we scour the world looking for the best material that is going to help you and us raise highly effective teenagers. And as I said, today we've got Melanie Jackman right there. Take it away, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So like Angela said, my name is Melanie Jackman. Um, I have a master's in social work and a a bachelor's in social work. And I have been working in the field of domestic violence and sexual assault um, since I was 16. I turned 41 this year. So over 20 years. um, And I've been doing uh, community education and awareness and prevention around domestic violence and sexual assault for the last 15 years. Um, So today I'm going to be talking to you about um, helping your teens navigate love, dating, and relationships. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about what um, teen dating violence is, what it looks like, some statistics, and then how you can start those conversations with your teens. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, So research shows that one in three teens will experience teen dating violence by the time they graduate high school. Um, And only one of those three, so only 33% of those that experience will ever reach out for any help. Um, And the majority of them, it takes about six months for them to gain the courage to ask someone for some sort of assistance. Whoa, right there, right there. Are you saying that between (laughs) me, you, and my other friend, one of our kids, is in a violent teen relationship? Yes. That is scary. That is and awesome. And the saddest part is only one of those three teens will ever reach out for help. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Guys, yeah. this is something we need to hear and actually know how to deal with it. Because if they're not reaching for help, that means they're suffering in silence. Our Lovely, that's suffering in silence. Wow, wow, wow. Carry on, Melanie. I just okay. <laughs> it just boggles me. I know statistics are scary, but every time when when we personalize it and think, oh, this this could be my kid. You know, my kid is in school. It could be them. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, what I see also when talking with parents is there's a huge dating disconnect. So, um, if you talk to parents, about 19% of them will think that their tween, so that's middle school or high school, has been in a dating or romantic relationship. Only 19% of parents, when in actuality, 47% of teens and tweens report that they've actually been in a romantic or dating relationship. So, we see a big disconnect there that we as parents are thinking. Oh, 
oh, our kids are not even ready for this. They're not even thinking about this. But a lot of times they are actually doing it. They're in the process of being in a dating relationship and we as parents have no idea. Um, another report through Mary Kay said that 81% of parents reported that they believe that teen dating violence is not really an issue or admit that they don't know enough about it to know if it actually is. And 82% of parents felt confident that they could recognize the signs if their teen was in an abusive relationship, but only 58% of those parents like actually recognized what those warning signs would be. So we're seeing a huge disconnect on parents um, being aware of what to look for, even recognizing that teen dating violence is an issue, or even recognizing that their kiddos are are actually dating. Um, yeah, so, so we need to be in the mindset and be prepared ourselves as parents to be able to help prepare our, our kiddos as well. Um, so if the first question that I usually get is like, well, what is teen dating violence? Like, what what is this? What is it all about? So it's, it's important it's important to think like a lot of times when we think of domestic violence or dating violence, the first thing that pops in our mind is the physical stuff, right? We think of punching and pushing and kicking and grabbing and, and all that kind of stuff. When domestic violence and dating violence encompasses a whole um a whole uh you know realm of behaviors that are not just the physical so the way that we actually define dating violence or domestic violence is it's a pattern of behavior that one person's person uses to gain power and control over another person so notice in that definition i don't say anything about the physicalness of the relationship it's a pattern of behavior where one person uses this behavior to gain power and control over somebody else. So that's really important that we keep in mind this power and control aspect. So there's a couple of things to know um, yeah. as parents. First and foremost, it's not just happening to girls. It's happening to our guys too. So don't think that this is just a conversation that you need to be having with, with your girls. You need to be having this conversation with your boys as well. Um, why is it important for us to recognize that it's not just happening to girls? Um, so we need to teach our boys to recognize the signs um, and that their girlfriends are not just crazy. What I see a lot across just the, the general lifespan, when we talk to men and boys about abusive relationships. After a lot of them have been in my talks, they say, wow, I had no idea that this could happen to guys too. I just thought she was crazy. Whoa. I thought she was bipolar. I thought Whoa. she was, and we have all of these other words because our men and our boys think it is less masculine if they are in a relationship where they are a quote unquote victim. And they can't ask for help if they don't recognize what's happening. So it's really, really important that we're giving them the words to use that we're not, I hate to say normalizing, but that we're normalizing that this happens to everyone and that if it happens to them, it's not okay. I used to see in the beginning of my career that there was, you know, um, teen dating violence happening and domestic violence happening female to male. Hmm. But what we saw a lot of was the emotional abuse. We saw verbal put downs. We saw jealous and controlling behavior. I didn't see a lot of physical behavior happening, but over the years, I've seen an extreme growth in females who are physically abusive to their male partners, even starting in middle school and high school. And what I attribute it to a lot of, which sounds silly, but is the rise in reality TV. So in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, 
we had Bad Girls Club, we had Teen Mom, we had all of these reality shows that were perpetuating these negative and bad behaviors and normalizing them for our kiddos. And they were thinking that it's normal and it's okay and this is how I'm supposed to behave. So that's kind of where I personally in my career saw that that shift happen. Wow, so, so, so what you're saying is, as parents, we need to be aware of, of, of what it is in the first place in order to even, for example, when it's happening to our boys or our girls, we can educate them, we can, like you said, it's someone trying to gain control and power over you. And, and, and what I hear is, with time, especially girls, they're becoming more violent because of, of what, what they watch, what, what has been shown to them as okay. And also, could, could you just tell us, this is just my thinking and a little bit of research, is it, it's been said, oh, it's not okay to hit a, a girl, it's not okay to hit a girl, it's not okay to hit a girl. And then what has happened is the girls are thinking it's okay not to be hit, but it's okay to hit the boy. Is that? Yes. And I've actually had, you know, a lot of boys and men say that, you know, they their female partners even use that against them, that they know that they would never become physical against them. And so they sometimes get hurt extra because they're not they're not able to protect themselves because they know that if they leave a mark on that girl, that everyone's gonna assume that they were the aggressor in the relationship. So we're gonna talk right now about what, what it actually looks like. What does teen dating violence look like? So um, the second thing you need to know, so the first thing you need to know is that it's not just happening to our girls, that it happens to our boys as well. Still overwhelming we see that males are perpetrators in these relationships. So statistics will tell you that 95% of perpetration is male to female. I don't have statistics to back it up, but in my personal experience, I would say it's about 85-15. So 85% is male perpetration, 15% is female perpetration. And that's not in same-sex relationships. This is um, in, in heterosexual relationships. So Second thing you need to know is that it always doesn't, it doesn't always look like what we think it looks like, right? So, um, so what, what is it, what does it look like? There's five different types of abuse that we talk about um, when we're talking about domestic or dating violence. So it's physical, emotional, mental, or verbal, sexual, financial, and spiritually religious. So physical is hitting, punching, pushing, grabbing, slapping, um, knocking someone down. But if you also think about physical, do I have to physically touch you for it to be physical abuse? What do you think? Do you think I physically have to put my hands on you for it to be considered physical abuse? I don't think so, but I'd like, uh, I'd like some of my parents to think about it. For example, would you consider if I'm angry with you, when I punch the wall or when I exactly. when I break the computer, you know, it's you, you are observing. This is what I say to parents about when you observe violence, it's, it's in your mind. The mind recognizes that as it's happening to you because you're observing yes. it. So that could be termed as physical, is that my- Exactly, yes, no, that's perfect, that's perfect. So I may not be physically touching you, but I am physically showing this power that I have. I'm physically showing this aggression, which exactly sends you a message that this could be you next. So we're in an argument, I get very upset, I punch a hole in the wall, or I break the computer, or I take your phone and I throw it across the room, or I even snatch a pillow up off the couch and I fling that across the room, that's going to 
Yes. Right? It's going to scare you. It's going to take you back. It's a, a sign of physical aggression and how easily that can be flipped because I get scared when you do that and I clam up and maybe I start to cry and you say, why are you being such a wimp? I didn't even touch you. What's wrong with you? Oh, what? You're going to tell everybody I hit you? I didn't even lay hands on you. How are you going to call the cops? Who are you going to tell? You don't have marks or bruises. And I'm able to take that fear and flip it. And then in my mind, I register, well, they didn't touch me. So it must not be that bad and and it's that minimizing that happens and the more yes yeah so next is verbal mental or emotional abuse so this looks like put downs this looks like um you know cursing at them saying mean things embarrassing them in front of other people even in a i'm just joking why are you being so sensitive right kind of way um we can see that jealousy falls into this category so jealousy itself is just an emotion just like mad sad happy glad there's nothing wrong with feeling jealous but how we react to our jealousy tells us whether we're healthy or unhealthy. So if I use my jealousy as an excuse for hurting you or getting mad at you or trying to control who you talk to, where you go, how you dress, you know, those sorts of things, then then I'm using my jealousy in an unhealthy way. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I'm thinking of situations where a girl is, is jealous that the, the boy is going to speak to someone else. And mm-hmm. She, she stops him from speaking to anyone else, from going to see anyone else, from, from you know, from, from, from hanging out with his friends. And I, I think in teenage years, in young people, they, they should be having fun. They should be enjoying other kids' um, relationships, not just you. Absolutely. And at any age, really, because we see this as something that that we see across the lifespan of, of unhealthy or abusive relationships. But yes, definitely. It's good that I it's good that you mentioned that because <laughs> probably my, my listeners listeners would say, but Angela, that should be happening across the <laughs> it, it is true. No one, not even your husband, not even mine, not even your partner, not even, you know, not even your friends should have ownership of you. No one yes. has ownership of you. Right? Absolutely. Yep. So our third type of abuse is sexual abuse. So with sexual abuse doesn't necessarily have to have to do with with sex itself. It can be um, pressure to have sex. It can be making fun of you that you don't want to have sex. Um, It can be forcing, I mean, rape or sexual assault. So forcing you, um, grabbing, touching, groping, all that sort of things. It can be, um, you know, not allowing someone to use birth control or um, there's something called stealthing, which is um, where you, you know, begin to have sex with a condom on. And then in the midst of having sex, you remove the condom um, without your partner's consent or knowledge. and so, yeah, so these are, are all things that happen, you know, unfortunately, we, we need to be aware as parents that, you know, whether we think our kids are having sex or not, sometimes they are, or they're doing sexual things. And so how do we have conversations? Um, it can be um, telling them, if you don't do this with me, I'm going to tell everybody we did it anyway, so you might as well just do it. Or um, if you don't, you know, everyone else is having sex, why can't we? Or you had sex or did this with these other people, so why won't you do it with me? That if you really love, oh my gosh, it's the worst. If you really love me, you would do this for me because this is what I want or this is what I need. So that that guilting component we see happen a lot. Wow. Um, you said that yes. something this is something I've never talked about actually. 
it just came up in my heart. I remember when I was young, and I must have been about 12 or something, and a kid, a boy, really wanted to have sex with me, and I wasn't gonna have sex. And in fact, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't gonna have sex, and what happened was, he said he was going to tell everyone that we had sex, and do you know, he actually went and told everyone we had sex. And you know, for two years, that thing, you know, every, and he said every time I went through the, and then he gave the description of the place that we had. He said, every, do you know, every time I went past that place, there was, it took me years and years to, because everyone else believed I had, but I had no proof. Oh my, I didn't even think of th that is, I didn't think of it as sexual abuse actually. Now that you've said it, something came, came up, my gut. Yes. And I'm thinking for, for two years, because I was in, um, I was in primary school, for two, before I went to high school, for two years. Do you know, every time I went, and I went through that spot every day. Every day, and you had that and, physical reaction, that emotional that reaction. reaction, and the pain, and oh my god, actually, I never thought, oh my goodness. Oh, I'm so sorry, Angela. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, it it's happening. Oh my good lord, I've never thought about it like that. Actually, thank yeah. you so much because that is something I'm I'm gonna have to sh share with. I, I obviously have closed it for years. I have never talked about it to anyone. Do, do you know, no one, not even my mom, not even a friend of mine, no one. Yeah. And imagine, I mean, what you're experiencing right now is exactly what our teens are going through. You said you didn't share it with anyone. You didn't know what to do. But here you've you've harbored this with you this long, yes. not not knowing who to talk to or how to express it to other people and this is i mean this is a primary example of exactly what our teens are and going you know through absolutely an embarrassment of the whole thing even though i didn't do it yes i didn't do i know in my heart i didn't do it but he went and because he was a popular boy he went and mm -hmm. told everyone and you know the kids would jeer oh my god that is so that memory is so painful you know i'm sitting it yeah i'm so sorry yes absolutely yeah and i mean i i hate that this is has been something that you've gone through but this is a really important powerful reaction for these parents to be seeing that you as an adult still harbor this shame and this pain and imagine as a child what that was like for you so thank you for sharing that yeah definitely um so the next one is is financial abuse so a lot of times people think that financial abuse is not necessarily something that can happen to our kiddos when they maybe don't have jobs or, you know, aren't supporting someone else. But financial abuse can absolutely start. How many times have you, you know, we, we've lived in Texas for the last 12 years and um, the the chivalry and the men and boys pay for everything and, and that sort of thing is very alive and well in Texas. And so um, to me, I mean, I, I never felt comfortable having boys or guys pay for everything. I mean, for me, I, even when I was younger, I wanted 
you know, to get my own money from my parents or whatever. Um, you know, there there can be a lot of expectations when someone is paying for something. So maybe my expectation as a girl, financial abuse could be that, you know, I make all the plans, but I expect my male partner to pay for everything. I want to go to the amusement park. I want to go to the movies. I want to go here. I want to go there. And I don't ever offer to pay. Or my expectation is that my male partner is going to pay. On the flip side, it could be that my male partner is paying for everything and then having an expectation of me maybe sexually or otherwise yeah. that you know that they're attaching to to that money to that monetary value um it could be that maybe um this is an example that they use with my college students but it could happen in high school as well that my partner has a job and that i don't like how much time that job takes away or that a lot of girls go in and flirt with my partner at that job and so i show up all the time and i throw a fit and i accuse them of cheating on me and I you know mad dog other girls when they're in there and maybe I get my maybe I get my partner fired from that job because I'm in there causing a scene all the time or I'm calling all the time or I'm texting them while they're at work and they're not able to do their job because they're on their phone and they get in trouble um, so not allowing them to be financially independent or not allowing them to maintain a job or keep a job even in middle school high school or college could be financial abuse in in that way um, and the last one is spiritual or religious abuse. And so um, I kind of look at them differently. So religious abuse would be more making fun of my partner's religion, talking down about it, um, not allowing them to practice their own religion or making them feel bad about it. Yeah. Whereas spiritual is more the things that make you you. So I was actually in a middle school classroom doing a presentation on this and we were talking about religious abuse. And I had a boy in the back of the class raise his hand and say, um, Miss Melanie, I, I have a question. Does this religious stuff have to be all about God? Because we don't do God in my house. In my house, we hunt. And so we, we were laughing like, okay, what does that mean? And he said, well, my dad works all the time, but during deer hunting season, his boss knows he's not allowed, like he, he won't travel. And we go to the deer lease every weekend. And Miss Melanie, we're gonna teach my little sister how to hunt and I'm gonna teach her how to skin that deer. And that my mom's gonna teach us how to cook with it. And I just think that if I had a girlfriend that made me feel bad or didn't want me to go to the deer lease every weekend, I don't think I could be with her, right? So we really started separating this idea of spirituality and religion and looking at spirituality as the things that make you you, the things that bring you joy, the things that create tradition for you, the things that, um, you know, make you happy that your hobbies. So if it's, you know, basketball or football or cheerleading or soccer, or underwater basket weaving, I mean, whatever that is that brings you joy and creates tradition and happiness for you, if your partner is trying to pull you away from that, then that can be ab abusive. So those would be the, the five different types of abuse. Wow. Um, we also have to remember that relationships are on a spectrum, right? So we have healthy, unhealthy, and abusive. And most of us navigate in these waters between healthy and unhealthy. I teach people how to be healthy in their relationships. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've never yelled at my husband or called him out of his name or said something mean because I have and I'm human too, right? And so most of us navigate in these waters. The difference is when I have a negative reaction and it, it hurts or I react in a way that has a, hurts my husband and he makes that face or he gets sad I think oh no like I'm I'm not going to do that again because I love him and I don't I don't want to hurt him in that way whereas someone who's abusive will see that negative reaction and see that it shuts you down and see that they get their way and they'll say 
all right, I'm keeping that in my pocket. And next time I want you to do something or act in a way or shut up or do something that I want you to do, I'm going to pull this out. So when we say things like, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father, are you going to wear that? Da, 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 da. Those are things that we pull out to have control over that situation. Those are things that we pull out to shut our partner down. And when we continue to act in that way, we are now leaving this territory and jumping the wall to this territory. We're now navigating in abusive in abusive waters. And the further that we go this way, and the more that we gain that power and control, the harder it is to come back here to this healthy side. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. So some, so some things that are really important for a healthy relationship are things like trust, honesty, respect, um, individuality, yes. uh, compromise, communication, and honoring our partner's boundaries would be some, some things we would wanna talk about. Um, the next thing that we need to know as parents and probably one of the biggest lessons that we can teach, and this may even teach you something right now, is that uh, love is not a feeling, it's an action. How many times have we heard a friend who is in an unhealthy or an abusive relationship and we ask them maybe why they stay or why aren't they leaving? And they say, because I love them, right? Because they love me because I, I, I have, we have such a life together and I love our life and you know, all of these things. But when we think of love as a feeling, we allow our judgment to be clouded. And love is not a feeling. That feeling is lust. That feeling is, you know, um, infatuation. It's attraction. It's all that stuff that makes us cloudy. When we look at love as an action, how is this person showing me that they love me? What are they doing? Are they building me up or are they breaking me down? It's much easier to be able to tell black and white should I stay or should I go and be very clear on is this a good person or a not so good person for me to be with but when we think of love as a feeling we allow that judgment to be clouded right so I think that's one of the best things that we can teach our teens um and and that message starts getting sent to us very young um I am not a fan of Disney movies and I will tell you why I, I mean Pixar is much better but if you look at the history of Disney movies it's always a female who can't take care of herself that gets her in a situation that needs a man to save her and he wants to save her by riding up on his white horse and whisking her away and baby I'm gonna pay your bills and all this stuff right it's not about empowering her to be this independent woman who can live on her own and you know when in that scene where he rides up on that horse the clouds part and the birds sing and there's music and there's glitter and all this stuff that creates this emotion in us as little girls girls and that emotion we we associate with love and so if I'm at a party and I'm talking to someone that my partner doesn't like and my partner comes up and they grab me by the arm and they scream and yell at me and they call me mean names and they embarrass me in front of everybody then they pull me outside right and maybe they hit me and maybe they don't, but whatever happens, I'm scared, right? And then they say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I never wanted to do that. But if you didn't act like that, I wouldn't have to do this, right? I just love you so much. And then I hear love and I get all those gooey feelings because that's what Disney or whatever taught me. I'm not going to be able to think that love is an action. Correct. Yeah. So love is an action. It is not a feeling. Yes. Huge, hugely important. I also think. So how can oh, go ahead. teach them this, 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 this,
the, the young people that because I mean m- most of us most parents don't even practice that how can we teach that <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think that um looking at like when I was going through the list of things that are important in healthy relationships one of the ones that always sticks out to me is respect right instead of saying I want someone to respect me what does respect look like because if you and I talked about what respect looked like or we went around a room of 10 or 15 people what does respect mean to you everybody would say something different so I may be acting or treating you in a way that I think is respectful but you're totally disrespected by my behavior because it's subjective does that make sense so rather than just like what do these behaviors look like what do you want in a partner what do you not want in a partner and having a very clear idea of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable and then there's always that gray area stuff right for me you know I definitely wanted someone I was in my 30s when I got married but you know I wanted someone who had a a good job and who was stable and who had a you know a car and was going somewhere their life and who had goals and you know all of these things and one of my things was that I I didn't want to date a smoker it kind of grossed me out right I didn't I didn't want anything to do with that so I meet my now husband and he happened to smoke and at first I was like "Eh," but he was like this really great guy and so I was like well it's on my no-go list but is that something that I'm willing to trade he has all these really great things he doesn't really have any of the stuff that I'm not looking for but he smokes like is this now a negotiable so looking at and having conversations around what are your your yeses what are your no's and what what is potentially a negotiable and what is not negotiable right definitely having those conversations I think it's also important that we as parents don't play off negative behavior as puppy love or kids just finding their way and this can be hugely important especially when we're recognizing unhealthy behaviors in our children so maybe it's our son or our daughter who is being really jealous or controlling or texting their partner all of the time time. Um, or there's a lot of fighting and and back and forth and ultimatums and things like that. Um, Not just playing it off as, oh, they'll find their way. Oh, it's just puppy love. Truth of the matter is the the skills that our kids or the the behaviors that we start exhibiting or that we start accepting, even in middle school, are, are relationship behaviors that will follow us into our adult years. Yeah, I can't tell you how many... Because they get ingrained okay. in your in the brain, and and what I say yes. to parents is, this behavior is every every action that you take, the mind registers it as a neural path, and that neural path it gets stronger and stronger, and it becomes the way that that kid goes. So don't ever minimize something that you know is not right, because. With time, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and that's it becomes this. It's almost me, yeah. So I, I yes, agree when you say that it it need not be minimized. It needs to be struck out and thrown out. Yes. So um, statistics show that violent behavior typically begins between the ages of 12 and 18. And the severity of intimate partner violence later on in life is has a direct correlation with how early that behavior started. So if we're recognizing these 
unhealthy or controlling or jealous behaviors early on, those are things we need to correct on both sides, right? Because I'm more likely to be a victim later on if I'm accepting this behavior from my partner at a young age. But also if, if my kiddo is exhibiting these behaviors in their relationship in a young age, then more often than not, that's only gonna grow later on in life. And we're gonna be seeing that they have these same um, behaviors intensified as they get older in life, definitely. Um, let's see. Um, and it's really important to understand that our kids don't know who to talk to, right? If you think back to when you were a, a, um, a teen or a preteen and you had questions about love or dating or relationships, who did you talk to? To be honest, I never talked to anyone, no one. No one. Okay. Okay. And, and so I can it, imagine it's, it's even more scary now because, I mean, there's so much that's being bombarded onto them that, and, and they have no one to speak to. And yeah. But, but so what if I we, encourage parents to do is to, is to give their young people a safe space to speak, right? And this is, as, as I work with young people, I want to be that safe, a safe refuge someone that I can talk, I'm not embarrassed of talking about this thing. Like I said to you, this, this, this feeling that just came, this, this memory that this is something I will be sharing with them as part of the opening up. I had closed it. I don't know that box and thank God for this conversation that it's come up because it's another thing to show to show the gravity of the whole thing, you know? And it's an it's a true experience of my own. So I always encourage parents to to be a safe, you know, a safe, provide that safe space to speak because once they open up, then they can talk about something and another thing and another thing. And the more they speak, the more they release the pressure and the less likely they are going to drop, especially for example, these days, there's so much mental health problems. And some yes. of them came from all that clogged, you know, all that clogged and said, you know, and said things, right? Wow. Definitely, Ooh. yeah. So um, in, in this study by Mary Kay, um, 57% of teens waited six months or more to reach out for help and they were were experiencing abuse in in their relationships. So, um, you know, it, they don't know who to talk to. The earlier we can start these conversations um, with our kids, the more of a safe space that we are. So when my, when my youngest was in middle school, he was in eighth grade, he was dating a girl and I didn't really like her very much. <laughs> and, um, but man, he was like head over heels for her. And, um, you know, I, I didn't shut down the relationship. I didn't make fun of him. And he told me like, I love her. Yeah. Mel is my stepson. Like I, Melanie, I just, I love her. Like, I just think she's so great. And I'm thinking Ugh, like, really, <laughs> what do you love about her? Like, I just, I did not like her at all. And I could have talked down about her or made fun of him, or you don't know anything about love and come talk to me once you get your heart broken. And, but instead I, I encouraged that conversation. You know, I asked him, you know, what do you really like about her and what does she do for you? And, you know, how does that make you feel when she does that and that sort of thing? And I just think, you know, 
in in middle school had I have reacted a different way or made fun of him or shot him down for that we maybe would not have been able to have some of the amazing conversations that you know we've had you know now that he's in his 20s he'll three-way call me with his girlfriends and you know I do little sessions with them when they're having issues sometimes but I think like I'm so blessed as a parent to be able to have that relationship with him yeah you know and I I think that a lot of that started because I always kept an open mind and I never kind of shot him down about you know some of the relationships that he had and I think as parents we we want to protect our kids and so we want to keep them in this little box that's very safe and we need to remember that our kids are going to do it regardless right even if we tell them no it doesn't there's a funny meme out right now that says you know dear government or government you have a 10 p.m curfew dear government my parents tried that when i was 15 it didn't work right like and it's so true because anytime we as a parent tell our kiddos not to do something it's going to make us almost want to do it more even if we know it's bad for us so how do we keep those lines of communication open so i think um you know how can we help our teens first and foremost um, you you want to be open to a conversation. You want to find ways to start that conversation. Um, you want to give support when they're talking. Um, be empathetic. Don't don't go overly into parent mode. Don't try to protect, right? You want to have a conversation with them. And the main goal is to keep the lines of communication open. If we shut them down and we are negative and we tell them no and we try to control the situation, all that's gonna do is push them away. They're gonna get bad information from their friends. They're going to, um, cause that's really who they're getting a lot of their information from. And they're not gonna come and tell you when there's a real problem. I mean, our our kids from, from eighth grade until you know high school and college, they're already, adulting whether we like it or not they feel like they are able to make those decisions our job is not at that point necessarily to keep them in this protected box or to control the situation our job is to teach them how to make appropriate decisions as an adult we have four years once the time they get into high school where they will be able to legitimately make their own decisions so how do we prepare them for that right so listen and give support you want to accept what your kiddos telling you believe them don't downplay it um tell them you believe them tell them it is not their fault if someone is treating them in this way we want to show concern the biggest thing is is to talk about the behavior not the person so if i come to you and say mom you know i'm this is what my my partner is doing to me to say oh that part they're so bad i don't want you to see them anymore like they're a bad person da, 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 da. that's it's a it's bad behavior does that make sense my mom always talk name the behavior not the person right i'm not a bad kid i'm making bad decisions okay um avoid ultimatums. So we don't want to tell our kiddos like, you're not allowed to see them anymore. If I find out that you're with them, then this is going to happen. Because again, all we're going to do is push them back their direction. I know it's difficult, but whether we like their partners or not, we need to create situations where we can have some semblance of control. If I tell you you're not allowed to see this person anymore, you're going to sneak around and see them anyway. 
and I have zero control in that situation. But instead, maybe I as a parent create situations where you are allowed to see that person at our house. Or we go to the movies, we invite that person. We have Sunday dinner, we invite that person where I at least have eyes and ears on the situation, right? So maybe there are some parameters set where I'm concerned about some of the behaviors. They are always welcome at our house. I don't necessarily feel comfortable with y'all being here because I don't know what kind of supervision there is. But they are welcome at our house anytime. Yes. Puke, because we don't really like them. No, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but yeah, you know what, how do we... So, it, yes. so what you're saying is being able to manage it and, and, and yes. especially talk about the behavior being bad. And and I think when you invite them home, then you can, you, you've even got evidence to pick on and say, do you... This, is this good or is it not good? You know, you, you've yes. got something to go with. Otherwise, everything else is hearsay. So I'd like to ask you, Melanie, so because we are coming to, to the end of this session. Yes. But, you know, there's so much, I think you've got so much to give. And this is a topic that's very, it's, it's a very top, it's a topic that's very close to my heart. And I know for many parents, no one, no one likes to, to imagine that their kid is being abused. So what three snippets can you give to our parents today, especially to watch out and to talk about this and, and just to prevent it really? I think um, finding different ways to start the conversation is really important. So with my kids, um, I'm not a huge fan of reality TV, but I used reality TV as a way to start those conversations. So my son and I would sit down and watch The Bachelor sometimes, which I know is super trashy TV, but it was a really great way for us to, you know, who did he think was cute? We would talk about different behaviors. So, oh wow, she's really cute and they're really great together, but how is she when she's only around the other girls? Is she snotty? Is she snippy? Does she talk bad about the other girls? Is she conniving, right? And I would use different TV shows and strategically pick movies and things like that to watch with them to be able to start those conversations. We also had, um, or another idea you can do is to have like a little fishbowl on your dinner table and every you know time you eat a meal together you pull a question or a topic out of the fishbowl and so you as a parent can add them in but it's also the kids can add stuff in so maybe they want to have a conversation with you but they're not really sure how to bring it up or there's a topic they want to know more about but they're nervous about it so they get to drop it in the fishbowl and then maybe it will get picked over the next week and then that's a conversation that y'all can have um utilize drive time I used to always ambush my kid in the car because he couldn't really get out of the car. And so we would have some of those tough conversations in the car because I knew I had 20 or 30 minutes, right? And I was always asking him about um, his friend's relationship. So what's up with so-and-so and his girlfriend? You know, what's going on with them? Do you like her? What do you like about her? What do you not like about her? Um, you know, you can use um, maybe some warning signs that you're seeing in other people's relationships to have conversations like, um, you know, your cousin so-and-so is is dating this person and, and I heard that this happened. What do you think about that? Um, and using, you know, concrete examples to have conversations about whether or not they think 
this is healthy or unhealthy in, in a relationship. So I definitely think, you know, finding as many ways as you can to start those conversations and you can never have them too early. You can start having conversations about friendships when they're really young. What does it mean to be a good friend? What does it not mean to be a good friend? You know, how does it make you feel when that person treats you that way? And then slowly as it, you get to maybe sixth grade, you start transitioning into what dating relationships look like and, and things like that. And then just kind of growing on, on that. Wow. So then what I've heard from you is as parents, we shouldn't put our head in the ground and pretend that these kids are not dating. And no. it's really up to us to instigate those conversations and have and, and actually and, and, and talk about it safely. And even when they are making bad choices, it's not up to us to to, to kick them while they're down. It's up to us to instigate those conversations so that they in themselves can come to the realization that actually I deserve better. Actually, I deserve to be treated better. So that's what I'm hearing from you. And I am so, so glad. Definitely. And I'm sure, sure all of my listeners, oh, you guys, man, we, we, <laughs> this has been, you know, you know, I talk a lot. But you, as, you, as, you, as you saw today, I was just listening, listening, listening. And this has just been an amazing, amazing time. And thank you so much, Melanie. I'm sure Absolutely. we'll be having you soon. So how can people reach you? Because I know there'll be pounds of parents wanting to, come on, give me, give me, this, give me this tip. What can I do? Maybe asking you, how can we contact you? Sure. Uh, so I have a page on Facebook. It's uh, Melanie Jackman Life and Love Coach. Um, I can send you the link to that if you'd like. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm available to do presentations for schools, for community groups, for parent groups. Um, I have, you know, full curriculums available for teens and for parents um, and for adults um, on healthy and unhealthy relationships. So yeah, I'd love to connect with each and every one of you. And I'd love to come back on the show and talk again. You definitely, I'm going to put the links down on here. We're going to post this on, uh, on, on, in our blog, on Facebook, all our, all our connections. And I want you guys to share this because the more parents know about this, the more safe we can make the whole place be, and especially for our young people. I am so, so thankful, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you for your time, <laughs> taking your time off your holiday and that and so so glad that you're here <laughs> and from all of us here at Raising Remarkable Teenagers we're just so so thankful and have a brilliant brilliant day. Bye! Thank you! <laughs> bye! -bye.